Welcome to another Calvary Baltimore B-Side with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. B-Sides are a companion to the weekly sermon, giving an in-depth look behind the teaching. Now with running commentary to complement this week's sermon, here's Pastor Josh. Hello, everybody. I am fired up about this one. Uh, So anyways, welcome to B-Side. We are in Matthew chapter 4 today, verses 12 through 22. Um, and I just, this is a pretty good place to to tell you, um, sort of how my system works here. So I'm going through the book of Revelation on Sundays. And the way that, that, that I work is I will, I take all my books and I read an entire chapter's worth of content. Um, and so I'll read all, everything I have on Revelation 11, uh, which is what I, you know, we just did. And I'll put it all in, in, I'll organize it by verse and theme. Uh, and then I look at it and I chew on the text and I see where I, I feel led and how many teachings we may have. Uh, and then I start the assembly process. But as soon as we finish a chapter, like we just finished chapter 11 uh, last, not this Sunday, yesterday, but two Sundays ago, uh, eight days ago, um, I then needed to start pre-reading for Revelation 12, which may be two or three teachings worth. Uh, and that takes a lot of time. It's about a week's worth of reading that I do and organizing uh, to go through my commentaries. Um, and so uh, as we've picked up the pace in Revelation, and we're not spending six studies uh, on one chapter, uh, and we're, we're doing like three, four um you know, a lot of times I don't have enough time to read ahead. So, uh, in these times it, when we're in between chapters, I'll, I'll feel the liberty to go and hop somewhere because I want to do Revelation well. Um, and and really, it's where God has me in my personal devotions, and sometimes we're in Acts, and and right now we're in Matthew four. It's where God has me, and and I'm just mining so many good things here that um, I'm really excited <laughs> to take this little break uh, in Matthew while I kind of on the side prep for Revelation uh, 12. Uh, so anyways, uh, we're, we're in Matthew 4 today, Matthew 4, verses 12 through 22. Let's read it. And sorry if I sound terrible. I think allergies are killing me here. Uh, now, when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, Uh, So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. Um, I'm running a Harford County Bible study tonight at six, six o'clock in Bel Air. And we're actually going to go through that text again, and it's 95% different, that study. Uh, there's so much to pull from here. Uh, it's just it's so exciting. Uh, verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While uh, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, we're done our reading. On Sunday, yesterday, I spoke about God calling us. That Jesus, like today's passage, God calls you, he wants you, he wants to use you. Now, now something that was in my original notes that didn't make it because we, we didn't have time and I didn't want to muddy the waters too much were all the different ways that people respond to the news of God wanting them. If I stand on a street corner somewhere and say, God loves you and he wants you, there are lots of different responses to that. A lot of times people say, no, I'm not interested. Sometimes people receive it, as we see in the book of Acts, with great joy. Sometimes people fall into fear of the Lord. You know, what what did Peter say? Depart from me, O God, for I am a sinful man. Uh, Sometimes people are immediately humbled uh, and recognize what they're standing in front of. Remember Nathaniel, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And he essentially prostrates uh, before God. He realizes who he is. But for today, I'd like to look um, at at two responses. uh, And again, there are many more, but I'd like to look at two that I think uh, will be very beneficial. So two ways people receive the news that God wants them, and this is going to be our entire study, um, and, and I'm actually very excited about this. And uh, there, there's two two ways I want to talk about today, and the first way to receive the gospel is in pride. Some people hear the good news that God wants them and wants to use them, and they think, well, of course God wants me. I'm amazing. (laughs) Now, of course, this is a prideful response to the gospel. But I I believe this pride is rooted, um, of course, in selfishness, but uh, also of ignorance. So if I was working with somebody, if I was witnessing with someone who was receiving the the gospel with pride, um, they don't so much process that Jesus died for sinners, just that Jesus died for them. They don't process the sinner part so well. Uh, I I would say to that person, okay, take that energy, that passion for yourself that you have, uh, <laughs> this passion that you have bubbling, that you are amazing, and go and spend it getting to know God. Because the, the more we grow and to, to learn of the knowledge of God, the more we come to see God's holiness. When you read of a holy God, you come to the awareness that God is holy. And then the closer we get to the understanding and the knowledge and even the, 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 to, to the perfection, the, the closer we get to, to perfection, the more our imperfections and unholiness and our unworthiness bubbles to the surface. The more we learn of who God is, the more it reveals about who we are. And that's a very humbling thing. 
The more we grow in the knowledge of God and come under its authority, meaning we don't just grow only in head knowledge, but heart knowledge, applied knowledge, uh, the more we become aware and humbled because of our sins and our fallenness. Uh, I love what Philippians 2 says, uh, verse 10. So that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. All men, when they come to the to a true knowledge of God, especially in light of the gospel and the cross, and especially in light of the risen Christ, uh, it, it, as he reveals himself to the nations, every man will and must come to the conclusion of God's greatness and not their own. At the end of it all, people will recognize that Jesus is king, and they are not. Now, the risk to this approach, to having someone puffed up with pride, getting to know the scriptures and knowing to go God, getting to know God, there is such a thing as an intellectual pride. So you could actually end up feeding the very beast you're trying to kill. Uh, and this is what we saw with the Pharisees. There was a lot of pride there. And the more they learned about God, it actually increased their pride. Uh, we see this a lot even today in Christian circles and academics. You see some professors and they are so full of pride. But I think... If I'm dealing with this person who's dealing with pride, this is where I think discipleship is key. If they are mentored by someone who knows more of the word, who is humble, uh, that'll help teach them humility. Uh, This is also where I think applying the knowledge can really humble us. And I think this is is really key. Um, For example, (laughs) if you read about how much uh, James controlling the tongue. Well, I don't care who you are. If you're a human, sometimes you say stupid stuff. <laughs> you say the wrong thing. And you read James and go, oh, my mouth, you know. Uh, and there's very humbling because you realize you're not perfect the more you, you try to apply the truths of Scripture. Uh, and, and so as we apply the scripture, it can become very humbling as opposed to just learning the scripture and not applying it. Um, I, I, kind of a way to think about this is in, in, in academics, you find a lot of, a lot of academic teachers are very prideful. They're very dogmatic, uh, in their, in their approach to, to their field. But then you see entrepreneurs or those in the field that are actually doing it, and they seem to be a lot more flexible and humble. Uh, and it's because the academic typically hasn't left the classroom. But the, the, the person who's in the field has, through experience, uh, been humbled. <laughs> they've had, they've had their fair share of failures. Uh, and, and so, and I think that's true with the Christian life. The more that we try to apply outside of the classroom setting, the more that we, we we study the Word of God and then try to take it out into our lives, the more that we realize, oh boy, I have fallen short of the glory of God, and that's very humbling. So again, if I'm de- if we're dealing with someone with pride, and maybe maybe this is you, you know, first things first, get to know God. 
Spend time getting to know God, and then don't just know the scriptures, live the scriptures. And as we live it, I think it bursts that pride balloon <laughs> bubble that puffeths up. Uh, now, secondly, another way people can receive the good news that God wants them and wants to use them is indifference. And this is what's really on my heart for today. I don't know, you know, I've talked to a few people about this just to make sure it wasn't me, uh, but but more and more, I don't know if anyone, if you guys have noticed, how many people seem almost numb, uh, unmoved, indifferent to most of life and spiritual realities. I, you know, I, I talk to people and, and they almost seem glazed over a lot of times. Um, or they'll be very passionate about social justices, but when it comes to the topic of eternity, it's like, ah, well, well you know, we'll see. <laughs> it's almost as if Matthew 24, 12 is playing out in real time, uh, but before our eyes, that the love of many has grown cold. It's growing room temp. And this growing cold and deadness and numbness and indifference towards spiritual realities is not just a reality to the unsaved. This is also growing in the church. You know, thinking of the church of Laodicea, what did God say? I wish that you were either hot or cold. But since you were neither, since you were they, they were room temp, God would spit them out of his mouth. One of the scariest things that can happen to a person is that they grow indifferent to the word of God. That they grow indifferent to the truth of the gospel, to the cross. And maybe this is where you're at right now, or maybe you know people like this. They're, they're not on fire anymore. They're not full of zeal. They're not hungry for God, but are becoming spiritually lackadaisical, spiritually numb, spiritually indifferent. Well, the good news is Jesus spoke to this, not as those people that are, he doesn't say those who are growing indifferent are lost. He, he says that there's a remedy for that. Uh, and so this is what Jesus says. It's in Revelation 3. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that your the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see so first jesus says for those of us growing indifferent is or, or lukewarm is that we must come to him and receive so we, we need to come to god what did jesus say in, in the gospel Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. There's an act of coming to God uh, for nourishment and relief. Then he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, okay, here comes the practical steps. Be zealous and repent. Those are the two practical steps to indifference. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus' remedy for indifference was zeal and repentance. So if your love or, or someone you know's love has grown cold, grown indifferent to the glorious realities of God, Jesus first says, be zealful. <laughs> and this is kind of odd. 
You wouldn't typically tell someone who can't sleep to not be so awake. Like, I can't sleep. Try not to be so awake. <laughs> you know, here God is telling the zealous to have zeal. Well, have you tried being more zealful? And it almost seems kind of strange, but in a way, it's perfect advice. Of course it's perfect advice. It's from a perfect God. It's a perfect command. For example, if someone was joyless and always pessimistic, good advice would be to pursue joy and stop being so pessimistic. Now, in our culture today, that sounds like very insensitive advice, but it's not. This is why people... Um, are drawing so much encouragement from people like Jordan Peterson, um, who, you know, I don't agree with everything he says, uh, but but it's undeniable that millions of people are flocking to him, specifically young men. Um, and people are really drawing a lot of encouragement and wisdom for Jordan Peterson, who's telling young men who are a mess to stop blaming everyone else for their problems. To stop making excuses and, and as his term is, clean your dang room. Stand tall, put your shoulders back, work hard, and, and your life will get better is what he's telling people. And in many ways, this is godly advice. What did Jesus just say to the Laodiceans? You don't have zeal? Go get zeal. You know, and Paul did the same thing. One of the things I draw from all the time is the drinking problem in Corinth. People were getting drunk and had a problem with alcohol uh, in the church of Corinth. And what was Paul's advice? It's so, so different than, than the council we would hear today, which tells us about the council we hear today. What was Paul's advice to the drinking problem in Corinth? Drink less. <laughs> Duh. Drink less. And in our culture, doesn't that sound so offensive? Doesn't that sound so insensitive? But it's not. Now, th there are genuine struggles and horrible situations that need sensitivity, of course, but at the same time, we also don't want to tiptoe around the actual problems, which typically is a matter of the will. You see, we live in a time where people find worth and cause in victimhood. Everyone seems... Not everyone, but a lot of people claim to be victims of stuff. I struggle with this because of A, or I'm B because of C, and we give ourselves excuses and wiggle room to continue to sin. But according to God, we have a responsibility, a command to self-control, <laughs> to clean our dang rooms. If you lack zeal, O Church of Laodicea, Go get it. <laughs> if you lack joy, go get it. And what is happening is Laodicea is a lack of zeal and passion. And Jesus tells them, well, go get zeal and passion. To personally go and buy it from God is the language he uses. To go and get it from Jesus and be intentional. In Laodicea, they needed zeal in the Greek, meaning to covet, to make much of God. Now, Jesus isn't asking for zeal in the sense of random emotions and passions, but is commanding for zeal to know God. So for those of us who are growing in indifference... 
we need to grow in zeal, but specifically zeal in the knowledge to know God. Because without knowledge, what do passions and zeal lead to? Error. What Jesus is saying is not only to come... The, you know, we, we have this really bad tendency to go, okay, I'm, I'm in a spiritual rut, and we'll go and we'll put on some worship songs and we'll sing our heart out, and we feel good for an hour and then it fades, or we go to a conference somewhere and connect with God, and that, that wears off in a week. And we have these peaks and valleys sort of Christian experience. Uh, and that's not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus means is, is come to make much of God, which comes by growing in the knowledge of God. So for those that lack passion for God, clean your dang room. <laughs> Go get passion. Set time aside and seek him. Build new daily routines and, and, and grow it. There's, there's a great, great saying that has changed my life. It's called habits eat willpower for breakfast. So many people are like, oh, I got to start reading my Bible. And they're like, oh, I'm going to read three hours today. And then tomorrow it's two. And then Saturday they try to catch up. And then, and then they fizzle out and stop reading altogether. It would be so much better if you just woke up 20 minutes early every day and read. <laughs> Habits eat willpower for breakfast. We, we need to build these things into our daily routine to seek God with zeal. You know, it's. I was thinking about this this morning. It's people approach God like diet pills. <laughs> they want quick solutions, but until you fix your bad habits, those green tea pills aren't going to work off the 5,000 calories you just ate. doesn't work that way. Jesus says very plainly in Revelation 3, if you lack zeal, you lack passion, go and get it. Go and get it. Get get into your Bibles and be zealous in knowing him. And what great advice for us. If for those of us that are struggling with indifference and we find ourselves at times and just God's on the back burner. You know, Jesus' advice would us to be would be, okay, how are you pursuing me? How are you searching after me? You know, uh, you, we, we come to me and buy, buy gold for me refined in fire. Uh, Jesus would say, come to me, those who are heavy laden. Uh, you know, we, we need to go to God. And, and sometimes uh, will, uh, um, willpower is not enough. We need to build habits, life-changing structure in our lives. And uh, then the second thing Jesus says for those who are struggling with lukewarmness and indifference is repent. Repent of your indifference. This is coming to the knowledge of your sin and correcting it. So one of the first things we have to do is recognize that indifference is growing and repent of it. You know, to state the obvious, indifference is sinful. And if you're falling into the sin of indifference, then repent, which means turn from your sin and towards God and be zealful. Again, don't blame anyone else for your dirty room. <laughs> and don't think someone else needs to come along and clean it for you. It's your room, so clean your dang room. Read of God and sing of God and talk of God and gather in God's name. You know, there's a, I heard a pastor say once, if you, if your family's having discussions Saturday, if you're going to church on Sunday, you've already messed up. It should be a given. 
Your church, you go to church on Sunday. That's what God's people do, according to the Bible. And every morning, you know you're going to wake up and read the word of God because that's what you do. And every night you pray before you get in bed because that's what you do. And like Jacob, wrestle with him. Get on your knees and wrestle with God in prayer and don't let him go until he blesses you. Don't let him go until you have bought the gold refined in fire. And don't let him go until he clothes you and puts the ointment on your eyes. And listen, some people struggle terribly with lust. You know, I just walk with some people and it's just their fight and they have to fight it every day. They love their families. They love their spouses. They love their kids. But there's this thing inside of them that is actively seeking to blow their family unit apart through this lust and evil. And they have to fight every day. And some people struggle with anger, you know, and they're always just ready to blow up and they have to fight it every day. And at the same time, some people, they get saved. And we've all seen it. We see someone get saved and they are on fire for Christ. I mean, they're in church. They're holding their hands up. They're taking communion and weeping. And then others get saved and they believe. And yet in their hearts, they're just always fighting a cooling. Well, every bit as one would fight lust or rage or greed or, or pride, we have to fight indifference. It's a sin, like any other sin in some ways. And how do we fight indifference? Well, we first have to acknowledge and turn from it and then fight for zeal. We must be zealful and eager to know God and repent when we stray. And as we saw in today's reading, we have to leave our nets on the shore, turn from our old life, and turn and follow Christ and get and strive to know him fully and zealfully. And over time, this is the antidote <laughs> uh, to indifference. Indifference to the word of God, indifference to the love of God, indifference uh, to, to the gospel, to the cross, to the resurrection. Uh, get to know God, because the more we know God, the more we're flabbergasted by him, because he's so other than. Uh, and that changes us. So, anyways, that's what we had. Uh, that's what I cut out from Sunday. You can see why, if I added that, it would have been so long. Uh, which is why I'm, I'm very thankful for these Monday Bible studies, because I can put them places uh, and expand them out a little bit. So anyways, I love you all so much. Keep me in prayer. My throat, my sinuses, these allergies are just beating me up today. Um, so anyways, yeah, let's let's pray and we'll get moving. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask that you would be with um, be with us, guide and direct us, God, we ask that we may not become a byproduct of our culture, but that we may become a byproduct of your kingdom and your character. God, your counsel seems so blunt to us, and 
that reveals in us an unholy sensitivity. That we, we, we when your counsel seems almost coarse, God, that tells us that we, we, we need to be weary about whose counsel we are receiving. That God, we, we need to, that those who love you, keep your commandments, strive for your commandments. And so God, for, for where we are lacking and where we are struggling, we do ask for a mighty move of your Holy Spirit to encourage and push us towards these good things. Uh, but at the same time, God, help us to strive to enter in through the narrow way. God, help us to strive for zealfulness. Strive for unity. Run the race. And we ask all of these things in accordance with your will and goodness. Help us to be your people who look and act like your people. And in Jesus' name, we love you, God. Help us to clean our rooms <laughs> this week. And in Jesus' name, we love you. Amen. I love you guys so much. Thanks for joining us for this Calvary Baltimore B-Side. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, our website is calvarychapelbaltimore.org. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've been blessed by today's teaching and would like to donate to the work that God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore B-Side. <laughs>